Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Baylor Law Criminal Law Society podcast. I'm your host, Chris Spendlove, and I'm flying solo today. My, uh, my co-hosts had between quarter things to do. I think Steve is helping his dad move, as dads are wont to ask their sons to do. So uh, it's just me today, but we're really, really excited uh, to get to speak with our guest, Mr. Robert Keppel, who's the executive director of the TDCAA, the Texas District and County Attorneys Association. Um, Mr. Keppel's come and come to the law school a few times and, and spoken for PDPs and that kind of thing. So you may have seen him around the building before, but we are very excited now to uh, welcome Mr. Rob Keppel to the podcast. So Mr. Keppel, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much, Chris. I'm looking forward to it today. I am too. Yeah, this has been a long time coming. I think we talked back in what, December when you came to the law school, was that it? Yeah, I was at the law school in December talking a little bit about prosecution in Texas. So uh, I'm looking forward to following up on that today. Very, very cool. Yeah. Tempest Fugit, right? We, uh, as lawyers, (laughs) we like our Latin. So there's a little, little dash of it. But yeah, I can't believe it's been five months already since, uh, since we got to talk. But we have a lot to talk about today. Mr. Keppel is uh, very involved with a lot of things that are really important, especially for those of us who want to be prosecutors uh, and in you know the criminal justice system in the state of Texas. Uh, so we're really excited to get to talk with him today about a lot of different things. Uh, Mr. Keppel, one of the first things that we always like to ask our guests who come on is to kind of share their story with us. We we love hearing you know all the different paths that people take and. Uh, to get properly inspired for our own journey. So would you mind sharing a little bit of your story, maybe from law school or a little bit before you got to law school uh, to where you are now? Yeah, I'll be happy to do that. You know, I went to college uh, not thinking about law school, but after talking with my family, they convinced me that, you know, you back then in the in the 70s, you could go to law school and not actually practice law. And it was a worthwhile thing to do to have a law degree. And my family impressed upon me that, you know, with a law degree, you could do really important things. So I thought to myself, that sounded pretty good. So I ended up going to law school, the only law school outside of Ohio that would take me, George Washington. Um, Enjoyed it. Uh, I did. I did well. I did well enough that I was able to get a job at a big rug law firm in Houston in 1982. Uh, you know, I don't know what happened along the way, because I said to myself, I needed to do something important. Uh, I took a job that had the most money. My dad was an uh, auto worker. So the idea of a job that came with a good paycheck was important to the family. But, you know, after two years of working uh, in the big law firm, I felt like I really wasn't doing anything more than fighting over other people's money. I'm not saying that it wasn't great practice. They're great lawyers, super, um, super smart and talented. And we had great clients. But it really wasn't for me when I thought about what it meant to do something important and meaningful for other people. At the same time, I had friends at the DA's office who were having a great time trying all sorts of different cases and had some really great stories about the people they were able to help, the victims of crime, the cases that were solved that they were able to take to court. It just sounded like something that resonated with me. So I left the big firm and went to the DA's office in Harris County in 1984. 
Uh, I spent six six years there, uh, ended up as a district court chief, um, and just fell in love with the profession. I fell in love with the concept that a prosecutor is different from every other lawyer. Uh, As a prosecutor, you're a minister of justice. Your job is to see that justice is done. Not just seek justice, but to see that justice is done. And boy, it, it was drilled into me in Houston at the time by some legendary prosecutors that that your job was was to just do the right thing every day. And wow, that was a great feeling to know that that's all you had to do. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about how hard that can actually be to figure out what is the right thing to do. But the idea that that's what you're chasing, the idea that you're chasing the truth in any individual case, and then figuring out what the right thing to do was enthralling to me. Um, I got into training at that time. I did ethics training for prosecutors in the office, and I began doing ethics training uh, around the state and around the country. Uh, And I fell in love with the training aspect of it through Texas District and County Attorneys Association, where I was a faculty advisor. And so I had the opportunity in 1990 to move to TDCAA as general counsel, and I took that opportunity because it it was a whole different way to be involved in prosecution. We go to the Capitol every other year for the session uh, to talk about criminal laws. We train people. We develop what I believe is some absolutely outstanding world-class training for prosecutors in Texas. Uh, So I've been really proud of that. I've still been able to teach on the national level. uh, And so I've been able to extend my career uh, across the country as we work with other prosecutors in other jurisdictions. But I got to tell you, Chris, I never really... I always thought, you know, I'm going to leave and become a judge or leave and do this or leave and do that. Well, I became executive director about 18 years ago. And I look up and I've now been in the profession for 38 years and I've made it truly a career. Uh, And so uh, I couldn't have thought that I was going to do that at the time. But I believe that prosecution can really be a rewarding career for people these days. Yeah, gosh, I really appreciate you saying all that because it again highlights that there's no, you know, there's no one way to go about this, right? And and your career will take different twists and turns, maybe even different than what you thought. I mean, I, I think it's uh, you know, I hear that a lot too, right? Oh yeah, you you go be a prosecutor for a while, Chris, and then maybe you'll end up as a judge someday. And I I think people just think of judges as, you know, this venerable kind of top of the mountain. Uh, kind of end goal, but you know you can find all these different ways to stay involved or to use the skills that you've developed over the years to to really benefit people in ways that maybe you didn't think when you got started. I think you have to. You really have to. Back when I went to law school, I didn't really know myself very well, so I took the best paying job, and it was only later that I realized what I was good at. Uh, so I think. I think what you mentioned there is really important. You think, okay, I'm going to go be a judge. Well, being a judge is a whole different skill set. Maybe you would be a great judge. If you're the kind of person that can sit and listen to everybody else do everything and keep your mouth shut except for making rulings, then yeah, maybe a a judge is great for you. I know plenty of prosecutors, honestly, type A personalities who loved going to court and fighting for victims and fighting a case that were absolutely miserable as judges because they had to sit there quietly. Um, and they were they absolutely hated being a judge. 
They loved actually fighting the case in court. So you kind of got to get to know your own personality. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing too. Um, you know, I really believe in the loyal opposition. Uh, I'm a big fan of the criminal defense bar, especially in Texas. There's some outstanding lawyers. A lot of them are my friends. Some of mm-hmm. them have been prosecutors, some not. But, you know, that's a different mindset as well. So it could be that you have a government mindset and you feel like, you know, I can work within the parameters of the government. I can work within the parameters of somebody who has to follow these rules and follow these ethical rules. And that makes me happy. And I fit in that. I'm a government kind of guy. I think mm-hmm. I fit naturally as a prosecutor. There are some people that they chafe at that. They're, I've had a couple of good friends who were good prosecutors, but honestly, they're much better defense attorneys. They're the people who challenge the government's case. Their job is to challenge you and make you better. So once you get to know yourself a little bit, I think you'll find where you kind of fit on the spectrum. Sure. And I, I feel like, you know, many of our listeners uh, who are in their earlier mid-20s coming out of law school, it's probably a big personal checklist item for them, right? Is learn more about yourself. Um, did you find in your experience that that came through just going to work and trying different things? Or, or how did you really get to understand, you know, what was going to work for you uh, in terms of your career? You know, it was only after I went to the big law firm and started seeing what the practice of law was like there that I began to really question what I was doing. Up until then, everyone had been so positive about go work for that big firm. That's awesome. You know, and sure. there was lots of awesome parts about it. But I wasn't getting any trials there. I had mm-hmm. three trials in two years. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not a natural trial lawyer. And the trials that I had, once again, were fighting over other people's money. And I wasn't feeling like I was making a difference. Uh So I went to the DA's office because I knew I had to learn how to try a case. And what I found was I cared about the cases I was trying. And to me, that made a difference. I know plenty of lawyers who love to go to court and argue a case, and they're really good at it. Yeah. Uh, Not me. I need to believe in my case. I need to know that I'm fighting for something that is important to me, important to a victim, uh, and that I believe is a just thing to do. I needed that energy to propel me to be a good trial lawyer. I'm not saying the best, but I can try a case. I tried a lot of them, but I got over any fear of going to trial because I knew I was fighting for what I believed to be the right thing and only the right thing. So it just took, I guess, by um, learning what I didn't like to finally focus on what made a difference. Sure. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, My, my, Next thought, you know, based on what you just said, is there's always a ditch digging aspect of your job, right? I mean, there's you have to take if you got to just do exactly what you wanted to do all day, you know, that I mean, that that's kind of Shangri La. How did you, as, especially as a younger attorney, kind of coming up in the ranks, you know, how did you kind of parse those things out where you were saying, you know, you really wanted to go to trial in the cases that you really believed in? But maybe the marching orders coming from the top or from your boss were like, well, you have to take these other cases too. I mean, how did you, you know, kind of manage that caseload uh, with with that core set of beliefs kind of impelling you forward? You know, that's an excellent question. I want to take it in two parts. First of all, sure. the ditch digging part, because I think, I mean, I tried to teach my sons who are now grown and departed that 
you can have the best job in the world, but about a third of it is stuff that you don't want to really be doing. You know, I mean, it's, it's the hard, it's the ditch digging part, but you got to do it to be successful on the other parts. Prosecution is like that. Um, it used to be a lot easier because there was no discovery generally, except you showed the defense attorney your file and mm-hmm. then you tried your case. Things have developed with the Michael Morton Act and, and we have a very robust discovery requirements. So the paperwork aspect for prosecutors today is much greater than it used to be. There's a lot of compliance that has to be done. And I will suggest to you that that has improved the quality of justice over time uh, because the defense is getting more information about their case quicker and more consistently around the state. So that's good. We still, though, as prosecutors, enjoy the ability to go to court and try cases in front of a jury more than any other segment of the bar. And we get a tremendous amount of training, especially in Texas, so that you're prepared to do that. We put on two courses a year just for brand new prosecutors and a ton of other supplemental materials and courses and manuals to train people up. And and that is that is a really important part of, of being a young lawyer is getting the training you need. You know, you may after three years decide, okay, I've tried a bunch of cases as a prosecutor, not really for me, I wanna be a defense attorney, but you can leave and have had that really great training and a look at what it means to be a prosecutor. Like I say, I've got plenty of friends who did some time in a DA's office and are now now just killing it as defense attorneys uh, in their roles. So that made that that um that's a good kind of career starter for someone who thinks they want to try cases. Yeah, and that, that makes a lot of sense too. I mean, you've at some point you've just got to jump in with both feet, right? And right. I mean, thankfully, well, I, I definitely want to talk more about this, about the training aspect, you know, as, as this conversation continues. Um, but we've heard that from a lot of people like like Beth Tobin, who we've had on the show, obviously very involved with the TDCAA. You know, she not only encouraged us, but uh, kind of previewed and helped us get excited for things like, you know, the baby prosecutor school and, you know, that sort of thing uh, to, to make sure that we're coming in as prepared as possible. If I may, um, I wanted, because, you know, primarily our audience is Baylor law students. Right. And, and as you know, maybe for a lot of people, it certainly was for me, one of the reasons you go to Baylor, or you choose Baylor as your law school is because we have the practice court program. Um, I'm not asking you to sing our praises or to sugarcoat or anything, but you've seen a lot of Baylor lawyers come out and and go into prosecuting jobs, I'm sure, over the years. Um, With our practice court training, what are some things that Baylor law students getting into their first few jobs and getting that training under the belt? How How can we parlay from practice court into you know, those first few jobs and, and really maximizing that training that, that y'all offer as well. Yeah. I think, I think Baylor has done a terrific job uh, in with the practice court, which other schools haven't replicated. Uh, Dean Tobin has been a big supporter of that program. I know and a big supporter of prosecution as a way to get entry into uh, litigation and trial work. Uh, I think what, what students need to highlight coming out of Baylor is that, they're trial ready. They Most lawyers come out not having any real practical trial experience. They wouldn't know what to do when the judge comes in, in, the, in the courtroom. 
I mean, <laughs> I've been there with young prosecutors. Uh, excuse me. Uh, the judge just came in the courtroom. You need to like stand up when that happens. I mean, they're that, <laughs> wow. you know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so you're already past all the basics and you've had it, you've done it a couple of times. You get a feel for what the courtroom feels like. And you're getting a feel for what your style is going to be like, because people are so different in how they, they try, try cases. So I think that if, if I'm a Baylor student coming out, I'm going to tell people, you know, I'm ready to go. I have a lot to learn, but I've been in trial court. I've got a real interest in being in court and I'm anxious to go to trial because that's what prosecutor offices need. They need people who are anxious to go to trial. Very cool. And I guess, you know, kind of taking a step back from that, you know, my question presupposed that we've already gotten the interview and we've gotten the job and everything. How can um, our Baylor students who are, you know, trial ready, how can they really highlight those sorts of things in interviews? What are uh, DA's offices, county attorney's offices really looking for when they go to hire somebody? And then how can Baylor students who've, you know, gone through practice court really help themselves shine? All right. Two things. Number one, here's the secret. Um, grade point averages and grades don't matter as much to district attorney's offices as it might to some of the larger firms. Uh, what the offices are really looking for are people who have common sense and good judgment because you're being given a tremendous amount of discretion as a prosecutor. I mean, you can literally ruin someone's life if you screw something up. So you need people who have common sense. So if I'm a student, if I'm interviewing and I'm talking to people, I want to demonstrate that I've got good common sense, that I can handle the discretion that I'm being given, uh, and that I'm a team player. So that's important. Grade points not going to matter as much. The second thing I really recommend you do is make sure you're taking criminal courses that help demonstrate that you've got an interest in criminal law. And most importantly, I really suggest finding an internship at a district or a county attorney's office. For two reasons. Number one is, well, three reasons, actually. You're learning what that job's going to be like. So when you go in an interview, you can say, I've seen what this job is. I want that job. Number two, you have a chance actually to meet a bunch of prosecutors in those offices. And if you shine, they become your references. Because guess what? We all talk to each other. So if somebody's worked for a DA's office and they're applying for another DA's office, there'll be a phone call Say, how is this person as an intern? Um, finally, by doing that, you're demonstrating your interest in prosecution. And I'll tell you, in interviews, that's huge. Mm. I will say that the people who get the interviews are ones who have demonstrated that interest in prosecution and actually worked in a prosecutor's office. It's harder if all you've done is tax law and now suddenly you want to be a prosecutor. That doesn't work quite as well. That makes sense. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that. We've heard that from a few of our guests, uh, including uh, one of our students who she's she's working now in Washington, uh, Washington State. But right. that was her advice as well, you know, was make sure you get those internships and you take those criminal law courses. Again, uh, listeners, we're hearing, you know, the GPA not at the top of the priority list. Don't let your grades slip. You got to pass law school, you got to get through law school. But, uh, you know, if, if you're not getting those high A's and you're interested in criminal law, don't, don't fret. Um, there's other ways that you can help yourself, you know, shine. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that's exactly right. 
Well, I appreciate you, uh, you know, giving our, our listeners some practical advice. It always helps, you know, and that's one of the reasons we started this podcast was to help, you know, Baylor law students who are interested in criminal law land those first couple jobs. Um, so I, I do appreciate you taking the time out to talk about that. I, I want to talk a little bit now um, about the training, kind of pivoting just slightly. Um, can, can you talk with us a little bit about how TDCAA training has evolved over the years, kind of what, what the philosophy is there and, and, and what our uh, students can expect, you know, as they start engaging uh, in these first few jobs and, and, and in that training you program. Bet. You know, big picture, when I first came in 1990, we had our big annual conference and regional conferences, but they were kind of on broad topics. Uh, after about 10 years, our board said, look, we need to nail, we need to start really focusing on core, core legal topics of a more advanced nature. So we really started beefing up any every individual training that we do, whether it's a homicide seminar or an annual conference, with super um, detailed and, and supported trainings on topics that you can use right away, child abuse, murder, uh, sexual assault. So we've really focused on really beefing up the quality of that training on the different specialized topics. Second, uh, we've actually started an advanced trial advocacy course, which has been hosted by Baylor now for over a decade. Thank you, Dean Tobin, where once you basically you're not a baby prosecutor anymore, after you've had three or four years experience, you can apply and you come to this course for a full week. And it's a super intensive trial advocacy course that is designed to really raise your core competency to the next level. Mm -hmm. Finally, let's talk a little bit about our trial skills course. We offer that in July and January every year. And we usually have about 150 new prosecutors at each one. Uh, and it's not a NIDA trial ad advocacy course like you would expect. You don't get up and get a case note and give statements and, or opening statement or cross-examine and then be critiqued. What we do is we have up to 24 expert prosecutors and we seat everyone at a round table. So there's usually one prosecutor with six students. And over the week, you'll have presentations on core subjects like how to pick a jury, and then detailed discussions and case summaries with your faculty advisor. In there, what we try to do is also give you tools to get through your very first trial. For instance, um, how to cross-examine somebody with uh, a prior recorded statement or a prior written statement or a prior oral statement. We will actually practice those skills at the table. So we know that everyone can do that. How do you offer evidence? We want to make sure that everybody knows how to offer basic types of evidence and will actually demonstrate that and work with that with the students so that they know coming out of this course, okay, I can get all my evidence in. I know how to do it. Uh, as an aside, we, hand, we have a ton of great books that we'll give them. We have uh, the Predicates Manual, which is your guide. You'll take that to court with you yeah. and you can get anything into evidence with that book. It's really super important. DDLI manual, search warrant manuals, a lot of other things that, that traffic stops manual. So we have lots of publications that will follow up on that. So really, you know, you're going to go for a week as a brand new prosecutor to one of those schools in, your, in January or July, get the basics, 
then you'll be able to go to the advanced trial ad course a few years later once you you've got a level of comp competency and then of course there's all the specialized courses in between uh, which you know will focus on different areas domestic violence we do a ton of dwi training brand new prosecutors handle a ton of dwi cases so we we have a specialist on our staff who does nothing but train on dwi uh, finally, I guess, as far as a training thing goes, I guess people should know that if there are questions about what's happening in a trial or anything, they can call us at any point in time. Like we get calls all the time at lunch uh, where, where a panic yeah. prosecutor says, my judge says he's not going to let this evidence in unless um, you can get me a case that 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 um, gets it into evidence. And so we've we've uh, we've helped an awful lot of prosecutors over the lunch break. Uh, make sure they can get their evidence in during trial. Wow, that's awesome. I uh, I feel like I just got a little clairvoyant glimpse into my own future, you know, giving you guys a panicked <laughs> lunch hour call from some dusty hallway in a court building. <laughs> It'll happen, I promise. That is really cool. So you were talking about those uh, specialized courses, you know, DWIs and, and family violence, that kind of thing. Does a young prosecutor have to apply for those or get the blessing of their superiors before they can attend? I mean, what kind of, how do you uh, get involved with those? Well, the good news is that um, they normally have to ask their boss if they can take time to go. And the course is usually Wednesday through a Friday. So you can mm -hmm. get there Wednesday morning, leave Friday afternoon, but our offices are very good about sending their people to these courses. And um They've got budgets, they have county budgets and then discretionary funds to do it. So, so numbers in terms of training have gone up spectacularly over the last decade or so with more and more people coming to more and more training. And part of it is because the quality is so high. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got really good instructors on some pretty valuable topics. And, you know, there's some challenging things out there. Like we just did a course on violent crime. Because no one's had no one's had the ability to try a case in two years, and now everyone's got a stack of homicides to try. They need some refresher on that. So mm -hmm. that was a pretty popular course last month. DWI is a huge one now that our young prosecutors are starting to try cases, uh, and domestic violence, same thing. We'll be doing an awful lot of domestic violence training this year. Now, as far as the trial skills class, which again we've alluded to it by the same, but colloquially the baby prosecutor school, right, yeah. is kind of what we're calling that. Um, do you find that most attendees, I mean, I, well, I guess it, it depends on when they start their first job as compared to if it's close to July or January, but have most of the young prosecutors tried a case or two before they get there? Or is that kind of a prereq, you know, to be able to really try a case? Some of them have been there for a few months. They may have tried a case or two. But when we ask for a show of hands, you'll get three or four people raise their hands and say, hey, actually, this is my first day at the office. And the first thing they did was send me to baby prosecutor school. <laughs> so we have some people who haven't actually been to the office yet. They're coming to the class. And so the level of competence uh, of experience, not competence of experience, is pretty low. Sure. There are no dumb questions. <laughs> Well, that's that's encouraging, uh, you know, as well. And is that usually held there in Austin or is it? Does that move we, around? It's usually in Austin. Uh, we've held it in San Antonio in the past as well, but we try to stay in Central Texas so people from all around the state can get there. Very cool. Um, and you you mentioned a little while ago, you know, some of the books, the TDCAA books. I came across a few of them uh, when I was out in 
well, I guess both in Limestone County and in Bear County last summer, uh, specifically the DWI manual that you were talking about, um, and then the um, the Vordier manual written by our good friend Ryan Calvert, right. uh, a friend of the show and a friend of, of Baylor Law. Um, do you find that it's helpful for young prosecutors to peruse those books before they come to the trial skills class, or is that just kind of they wouldn't really know what they're reading <laughs> until it's yeah. been explained? Yeah, to them. you don't. Yeah, is it, I don't think it really would help if you're just brand new because you don't know what you don't know. Sure. Uh, after you're at the course and begin to realize what's important and what's not, then you'll probably dig into those books pretty, uh, pretty deeply. Um, you know, the, the books have been a really important part of what we do for our members. We do penal codes and, and codes of criminal procedure that are annotated over time. And we, our author has been working for us for since 1995 on these things. Wow. Uh, our search warrant, warrantless search and seizures and, and a warrants manual are really, really popular as well as the DWI and intoxication manslaughter books. We do books on expunction, which is important. There's a book on um, pleas and probation. All you need to know about pleas and probation and consequences for, for convictions. Um, yeah, so I think we have about 36 manuals right now on different things, and they are updated on a regular basis. So your office is going to have a bunch of those. We try to send as many out. Like the jury selection one was a great one mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that Ryan just was able to put together. Super popular. So I recommend anybody, any anyone who's about to try a case for the first time has to get a copy of that and read it. But that's yeah. going to be the hardest and the funnest part is actually picking the jury. Very cool. And I, I don't know if Ryan or uh, Richard Alpert have told you, but they just put together a Vordier boot camp for us here at Baylor. So my cohort, I think there's about a dozen of us uh, this summer. We're going to be the the first ones to go through that boot camp. We're very, very excited. We get a little taste of it at our, I'm wearing the t-shirt, the, at our criminal law boot camp. See that. Uh, but now they've got a, an entire weekend devoted to Vordier. So we're, Really excited, especially to learn at the feet of Ryan Calvert. That's going to be that would well. Go. Well, Ryan, Ryan's amazing, and Richard Alpert is a legend. Uh, he, yeah. for the longest time, is a DWI specialist, and he's he's a tremendous teacher and a tremendous lawyer. So that'll be a great thing. I hope a lot of people attend that. They'll learn a lot. Yeah. Well, if it's if it goes anything like you know, just the I guess at this point we have to call it the general criminal law boot camp. Uh, it it evolved from like once or twice a year it was offered to now it's offered every single quarter year round right. because people just can't get enough of it, you know? So I'm, I'm really excited to see that happen here too. Right. Um, very, very cool. Um, I want to ask you a little bit then about, you know, you talked about um, you're involved with, you're going to the Capitol and you're involved kind of with, with some of the policy making. We haven't really had anybody, on the podcast yet, who's talked about, you know, administrative functions or uh, public policy functions, that kind of thing. I, I would be really interested to hear your involvement, you know, with, I, I, I guess it's the state Supreme Court or the state legislature. I mean, who, who are you working with uh, there? And can you tell us a little bit more about your involvement, setting policies sure. and rules mm -hmm. statewide? I'd love to talk about that. Um, I'm a registered lobbyist. I've been going to the Capitol since 1991. I think I've been to 16 sessions now. And here's the deal. Uh, 
prosecutors, look, we are criminal law specialists and we are the attorney for the state. Mm -hmm. So historically, our legislators have relied on us, prosecutors, when they're trying to solve a problem or write a bill. Um, Myself and one other person in my office, Shannon Edmonds, we go over as more like diplomats because we don't represent a position. I have 336 independently elected prosecutors. If they have a position on something, they have to go to the Capitol and state that position. Uh, Let me give you an example. Uh, A long time ago, when it came to the death penalty, there was either life with parole or the death penalty or or execution, death penalty. Mm -hmm. The trap, there was a move afoot to insert life without parole as one of the options for the jury. The Tarrant County District Attorney supported that and wrote the bill. The Harris County District Attorney at the time came and testified against it. Wow. But, you know, but our legislators need to hear what their district attorneys are thinking, and they don't always agree. But I will tell you that a lot of DAs and their assistants, a lot of assistants show up at the Capitol during during session to discuss different issues and to testify on bills. Uh, and they end up getting involved in what amounts to the policy of the state. I mean, I can tell you that I've spent an awful lot of time on our stalking statutes, our electronic abuse of a child statutes, um, hate crime statute. Uh, there are so many statutes that I've been involved in the development of that were the policy of the state. Uh, and it's been super rewarding to be a part of that process. Uh, so I, I think it's important that our legislators hear from prosecutors because they don't always agree with us, but they want us we need to be there to help them write a statute that doesn't screw things up. Because I know our legislators, they don't want to screw it up. They don't want to make the big mistake. And sometimes we have to warn them, don't do that because you will cause a big, you will cause a lot of trouble. So um, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, we'll have situations where two district attorneys disagree on issues, but uh, they can be very, very effective. Jennifer Tharp, our district, our criminal district attorney in Comal County, Mm-hmm. was instrumental in, in passing legislation that implemented deferred adjudication for DWIs, something wow. that prosecutors had wanted for a long time. Uh, so that was great. Just one example of the effectiveness that a prosecutor can have if they go and work in good faith with the legislators. Very cool. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Uh, and I mean, again, it makes a lot of sense, right? Especially yeah. when you talk about it like a, a diplomat role as opposed to, you know, maybe what the word lobbyist conjures in a lot of people's minds and pestering and that kind of thing. Well, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of trade, you know, TDCAA, our association is a trade association for prosecutors. We're a nonprofit, but we do our business differently. Let's say the plumbers association or other associations, (laughs) other associations will take a position on behalf of their membership and go push that, even if maybe the membership isn't 100% on board, and they'll go push it. It's not what I do. Uh, I am the ambassador for prosecutors at the Capitol, and I can help people communicate. And, and if I've got expertise, which I have some, I can help a legislator if they want to draft a bill. Doesn't mean I like the bill, but I'll help them write it properly, even if I won't support it at the end or prosecutors don't like it. It will make sure that it's written right. What, mm. what, what we call that taking the nails out. 
Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, and, and like you're saying, with so many elected, you know, prosecutors across the state, it's going to be impossible to get everybody on the same page. And just, I mean, that's just, you, you wouldn't really want that either. Right. It's such a homogenous position. Um, and so do you find yourself, you know, kind of tending goal or, or, you know, trying to play diplomat amongst the district attorneys before it even gets to Capitol Hill from time to time? Well, we certainly are. We certainly communications a priority. But I'll tell you this: our district attorneys and county attorneys in Texas they they do a really good job of like, for lack of a better term, staying out, out of each other's business. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone understands that they're the prosecutor elected in their jurisdiction, and their policies and practices and procedures are things that they do that reflect the will of their public. That's going to be real different if you're in Austin. And it's going to probably be real different from the folks in Lubbock. Right. But, you know, and, and they're going to have different views on different things. That's okay. And I think they respect each other and they don't go out of their way to play on someone else's pond, so to speak. That makes a lot of sense, too. And, and that ties in with something we've heard quite a bit about uh, prosecutors in Texas being kind of a brotherhood, right. Or a fraternity or a brother and sisterhood, you know, who are really trying to have each other's backs. The reality is policy, you know, and, and, uh, and things like that are not always going to line up, but, you know, trying to make it so we can all do justice, see that justice is done, uh, in whatever way is most effective for us. Well, two things about that. Number one is I think we can officially call it a sisterhood now because there are no, more women prosecutors than men. Fantastic. Uh, there you go. <laughs> we're well over 50% now uh, of prosecutors being women. Uh, but number two is, you know, prosecutors do align and agree on some real core issues. For instance, the preservation of our ability to do justice in our communities without mm-hmm. interference, mm-hmm. our prosecutorial discretion. That's very, very important because we see prosecutorial discretion as the way to be able to do the right thing in a case. You know, it's one thing to have probable cause and and that a crime was committed. It's not always the right thing to do to charge that case as a crime. And we have to have that discretion to serve our communities that way. Now that can, you know, that would be different in different jurisdictions. That can irritate some legislators if prosecutors, let's say, aren't doing exactly what they want them to do. But I think that's kind of part of the dialogue that that will take place in any legislative session. Yeah, that's interesting, too. And I I wanted to come back to that phrase, obviously, very important, you know, doing the right thing and figuring out what that looks like. I mean, as young prosecutors going out in the field, kind of feeling out whatever various offices we may find ourselves in in Texas, how, how does one really shape that or, or come to an understanding of what that means to do the right thing? Is it personal beliefs first, you know, office and community beliefs second, or how do you really mold your core understanding of what doing the right thing as a prosecutor means and then wielding that for justice in the community? Well, first of all, you got to remember you work for your elected DA. So if your elected DA is effectively running that office, they will have communicated their policies and their philosophies about prosecution. And if you're a new prosecutor and you're not hearing what it is you should be doing, you have the right to ask the senior prosecutors for clarification. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, 
So you need to understand what the culture of the office is. We actually do prosecutor management training now to try to help our electeds make sure that younger prosecutors know what the philosophy is of the office. Now, look, some of our offices have very different philosophies on things. So you, I think, as as a new person that are looking to interview for a prosecutor office, you certainly want to know that your personal your personal feelings will align with the office that you're going to prosecute with. All right. Um, so you, you need to feel comfortable in the culture that, that that office has. Uh, because in the end of the day, your job is to follow the direction of the elected prosecutor. But I will tell you this, the, the key important fact is that I've never seen and never had a prosecutor who felt like a case shouldn't be prosecuted forced to try that case. That doesn't happen. If you don't think somebody's guilty, your job is to get that thing dismissed as quickly as possible. Now, as a young prosecutor, you need to go talk to more experienced prosecutors about that. And you're going to really rely on other people's judgment. But I know of more than one occasion where a prosecutor said, look, I don't like this case. I won't try it. And either it is dismissed or it's given to somebody else who does have uh, a feeling that the case should be tried or likes the case. But the beauty of our profession, and and by the way, no one holds that against you. Uh, You're exercising your discretion. So number one, just make sure you're in an office that really kind of reflects your general philosophy. And then number two, um, make sure you're talking to the management, to the more senior prosecutors, about expectations. If you're not hearing how you should be handling these cases, make sure that you're talking to, to your superiors. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense too. I mean, especially there's several checkpoints, right. That you, you would go through the interview being at least one of those, right. To understand what the, like you're saying, the philosophy and culture of the office is. Also, I mean, if you're from Texas, you kind of know <laughs> what different, you know, areas of the state, uh, how they are going to align or different counties, I guess, how they're going to align politically, you know, that kind of thing. But I mean, the other thing I would say too, just now that I'm thinking about it is we've got resources here, you know, Mrs. Tobin, Mrs. Beth Tobin, she knows everybody or knows somebody who knows, you know, who you're trying to talk to. Um, And she's, she's talked with me on a few occasions about, you know, what different offices uh, you know, how they align that kind of thing. So there's, there's certainly resources out there. I mean, can young prosecutors reach out to you all and, and have that be part of the conversation as well? Always. Uh, I, I have talked to tons of people, including a few Baylor students in the last couple of months, when they want to just ask questions about different offices and how they work and what would be a great place to land in different jobs. So I'm always more than happy to talk to any student who's looking for a career or looking to get some guidance um, because, you know, there's some offices that, that clearly would be good fits for a lot of people. There's some that may not be. So I'm happy to talk to folks about that. Uh, and my number is 512-474-2436. If anyone ever wants to talk to me, just give me a call. Another thing you need to talk, we need to talk a little bit about it when we talk about the different offices is I'm sure people have been talking about the, the phenomenon or, or, or the, the wave of what's been called progressive prosecution hmm. and who are progressive prosecutors and not progressive prosecutors. There are a number of offices in this state now that I think would be identified as offices that have a progressive prosecutor as the elected, some, some of our urban jurisdictions in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and Although 
you know, we can talk about maybe different philosophies and the idea that there there's an issue about social justice that we need to infuse into our criminal justice system that isn't there. I think you'll find that for a new prosecutor coming in, you're still learning how to try cases. And every one of those major offices, I don't care whether you're a progressive prosecutor or not, take violent crime very seriously and take protecting the public very seriously. They may go about things a different way and some other things. You know, there's some offices that are not impressed with marijuana prosecution. There are others that still are. All right. Uh, so you probably need to explore that a little bit. But but I have found that prosecutor offices still, even if there's a progressive prosecutor movement, have a lot more in common than we differ on. Um, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. And I know a lot especially, you know, of the younger generation, very concerned. And we've talked about this on a few different episodes, you know, social justice issues, or even things like the you know, legalization of marijuana and how that's treated and that kind of thing. So um, I, I think that that's a, a good reminder that you can still see that justice is done, protect the community, even if, you know, there are some of these issues that, are, that you, you fall a little bit differently on. You know, exactly. the traditional, we're going to bring down the hammer of justice on every single little thing. So exactly. I think that's a really good reminder. Um, very good. We've, we've been able to talk about a lot. I appreciate you uh, going through so much of this. I, I wanted to ask you just a couple more uh, things first. Um, I actually meant to ask you this earlier when we were talking about your role and you know, your involvement with policymaking. But if somebody is interested in that taking on a role like that uh, and, and influencing policy or being, you know, in on the Capitol, on Capitol Hill, that sort of thing. Is that, is that something that they can actively pursue and try to line themselves up for, or is it like, just be a good prosecutor first, get really involved and those opportunities will come your way? Well, someone fresh out of law school can certainly go straight to the Capitol and try to get on with the committee as a brand new lawyer. Uh, try to, and, and, you know, there's tons of house committees and, and Senate committees, and they could go work for a legislator and become a legislative aide. So those opportunities are there if you want to jump right in. I will say that I've always felt like it's better to have um, a stock and trade before you go and try to do policy. I mean, what, I mean, seriously, you're coming out of law school. What do you know about policy? I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean you, Right. You, know, right. you may right. have an idea of what you think is right or wrong, but you've had no real world experience. So I'm proud to say that as long as I've been at TDCA, many of the major cities have sent prosecutors to the Capitol to help out. And some of those prosecutors um, impressed people and kind of got the bug. Hmm. And so I can tell you, like right now, the uh, chief of staff, uh, the lieutenant governor is a former prosecutor who worked with us. Their criminal justice person is a former prosecutor who worked for us. There are three or four former prosecutors that are now staffers in different levels. One works for the governor. Um, so by demonstrating your stock and trade and your interest, there are paths to, to go to the Capitol and then become involved at the policy level. And those people I'm talking about have been very successful. Uh, at what they've been able to do. Um, heck, Joe Moody, uh, who is a really fine legislator from El Paso, was a former assistant district attorney. Uh, he started out his career then and went to criminal law and then 
then came to the Capitol, and he's a very powerful person. <laughs> hey, I'm proud to say that the Speaker of the House used to work for me. Oh, very right cool. Out, right out of law school, or excuse me, not out of law school, but right out of school, he came and he actually was worked in our publications department for a year and a half or so before he went home. And, and now he's a legend. Wow. There it is. <laughs> that's really cool. I mean, that's really cool to hear. Yeah. Well, that, and that makes sense too. I mean, you know, again, coming fresh out of law school, not a lot of people are going to have enough experience to make an impact, but you can, like you're saying, kind of put yourself in the, that orbit if you're really passionate about that work where you, where you think you might be. Um, so really cool. I wanted to ask you too uh, about, I mean, specifically, you know, what law students and then, you know, newly minted uh, attorneys can do aside from training, you know, the, which we've talked about extensively to get involved with TDCAA, support your efforts or uh, other ways that, you know, we can, we can get involved with the association. You know, we have a number of different committees and we, and we really like to get young prosecutors involved in that. Because um, obviously the young prosecutors are the future of this association. So we've, we've really worked hard to identify young folks who may be in their first, second, or third year to help get on committees because we're, we're member driven and we need to know what they need. So we really work hard to get young folks to be involved in that. So uh, I'm really proud of our association. It's a very active group. And if you've got an interest in working with other prosecutors and expanding your role beyond your office. I know that our elected prosecutors are very supportive of that and you'll have opportunity to do that through TDCAA. Very cool. Very cool. And it's, you know, you, you mentioned this when you came and spoke with us at Baylor, but you know, other areas of the bar have their own, you know, either associations or, you know, some way of keeping their members, uh, you know, in contact with each other. TDCAA serves that function for prosecutors, right? right? I mean, kind of that network. Yeah. And we're, we're, I mean, that's exactly what we do. We're a network for keeping in contact. We, uh, we do like a, and any, and by the way, any law student, if you're interested in criminal law generally can sign up for our case notes every Friday that are come out on all criminal law matters. Every Friday, go to our TDCAA.com and sign up and we'll ship you commentaries, cases, and really good commentary from experienced prosecutors every week. And we have, I mean, we have probably 10,000 people on that, including wow. tons of judges, criminal defense attorneys, and police officers, as well as prosecutors. Very cool. Yeah. And I, I think you mentioned that to us when you came, but I'll, I'll be sure to uh, put the link to that site where yeah. people can sign up in the, in the show notes. That'd be uh, great. episode. Um, we're very swiftly running out of time. I just wanted to ask you, uh, one more thing. Now, do you all, uh, are you all involved with the federal prosecutors who are in Texas, any of the AUSA offices in Texas, or are you just, is the TDCA just for Texas prosecutors? We're just for Texas state prosecutors. Um, we know our friends over in the feds, but we don't really work with them that much. They train in a different orbit than us. They don't come to the Texas state capitol. So sure. an awful lot of time, it's oil and water. I know a lot of people over there only because there's a number of people who will go to the state association or state DA's office for a few years and then get hired by the feds. 
that's generally what happens. If you feel like you want to be a federal prosecutor, you mm-hmm. generally have to go to a state DA's office first and get a few years of experience before they'll hire you. Got it. Yeah. And that makes sense too, because they're not, I mean, their, their process is so different in terms right. of investigation and how they try cases and that sort of thing. So I was just curious if there was any overlap, but that, that makes not a really. lot of sense. Very good. Well, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wish I had or anything else you wanted to uh, plug or pitch for, for the association on the show? You know, I, I just want to end with two things. Number one is I, I want people to know that, you know, I made prosecution a career. And today, maybe there's a time when you couldn't do it, but today you can make it a career. If you want, you can raise children and have vacations and have a good retirement and do everything you want to do uh, as a prosecutor. It's possible today to do that. Um, You may not, you may move on, but it's an intriguing way to start your career. Second, I'll finish with this. I, my, my good friend, former prosecutor, now defense attorney, Rusty Harden calls it the highway high because there's nothing like trying a case all week long and the jury comes back with a guilty verdict a just verdict. And the feeling you have when you get in the car and drive home is something you can't replicate. Hmm. Cannot replicate that highway high of doing justice that you got to do. So I invite you all, give it a try. Very good. Well, thank you. Uh, It's, we've had a fantastic conversation today. Thanks for covering so much territory. My goodness. I feel like we talked about (laughs) everything, but the kitchen sink. Um, Thanks, Chris. It's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, And as I mentioned, listeners, you know, we'll, we'll get the links to uh, those case summaries in the show notes. I'll also, I mean, he, he gave it to us uh, verbally, but I'll go ahead and put his contact, Mr. Keppel's contact information in the show notes as well. Is that all right with you? Yeah, please do. Okay. I will. Well, everybody, thank you again for joining us on another episode of the Baylor Law Criminal Law Society podcast. We're so grateful to have had Mr. Rob Keppel here today, and we will catch you next time.